Hi, everyone, and welcome to Academic Dean, where we connect with passionate college leaders who share their stories and viewpoints of higher education, especially lessons learned along the way. Now, here's your host, Dr. Dave Gurchak. Hi, everyone. Today, I'd like to welcome Dr. David Helmick to our show. Dr. Helmick is the president of Sauk Valley Community College in Dixon, Illinois. Hi, Dave. I'm excited to have you on our podcast today. Well, thanks, Dave. I'm looking forward to talking with you. So can you spend a few minutes and tell me about your college and why students select your institution? Yeah, Sauk Valley Community College. We, uh, like many colleges, we're uh, about 55 years old. Uh, geographically, we're about 100 miles west of Chicago, uh, six counties. Uh, we're very rural. Um, and um, I, I think people select Sauk, uh, you know, many people, because we're, we're the only game in town. Um, so if you want adult education, ESL, uh, dual credit, uh, customized training, sm- um, small business development, you know, we're, we're the place to turn to. But I think more importantly than that, uh, I think we have a real good history and continuing that history of, of trying to be the preferred college. Uh, we have, I, I think it's, it's I, I have the data to support the fact that um, I, we are beloved in the community. Um, we're very active in the community. People know us well, and we, we have a reputation of being the place um, where if you need extra help or if you are a person, you're on a fast track to getting a four-year degree or beyond, you can come to SOC and, and we're, we're going to meet your needs. Wow. Well, what's, what's new on campus? Well, the... Um, uh, we had cabinet meeting today and we talked mostly about our uh, higher learning commission uh, accreditation report. Our comprehensive visit is in less than a month. So there's a lot of work to do on that, but we think we're ready. We think we're fine. Um, and with that, we'll be uh, finishing up the current strategic plan and rolling out the next. So, you know, we're talking strategic planning type, type of stuff. Um, but the most important answer is um, our impact program. And uh, what that is, is our version of a, um, of a promise program. And uh, three years ago, um, I uh, uh, challenged my um, director of the, um, or the dean of the foundation to do a white paper on promise programs. Uh, she did a very thorough job on that. Uh, all kinds of conversations with the foundation. We have an excellent foundation, all kinds of conversations with the, the board of trustees, um, with community and um, it ended up being branded as the impact program. And we are in the middle of, um, actually we're, we're, we're in the middle of the silent phase of our first ever capital campaign. Uh, we've raised $4 million uh, toward $10 million. And you know, those dollars amounts are, are big for a small college. And uh, to implement a, um, the impact program across the region uh, we got our first ever million dollar donation um, last year. So we are actually piloting that program in Fulton and Prophetstown, two towns um, on the western end of our district. Fulton's right on the Mississippi River. And um, uh, you know, with this, we have uh, freshmen in high schools uh, in, those, in those two high schools now who have signed up for this. And each year they need to stay on track academically. And very importantly, they must contribute 25 hours of community service. Uh, and then they continue that while they're um, at SOC. And, um, you know, it, it, it is a last dollar program uh, where tuition fees are paid. And um, it, it has been wildly successful, very, very popular program. And uh, we emphasize it is a tuition earned program. 
um, free college, <laughs> that did not go over well here. Um, so uh, the students, they, th th what's really cool is that they are learning about their communities, they're learning about the importance of service, they're establishing that, that, that habit of service, and um, the, the nonprofits, for example, are, um, are giddy about all the volunteers they're going to have. And, and we know from exper other experiences that the more students are invested in their communities, more likely they're going to be successful academically, and the more likely they're going to stay in their community. So um, we think the impact program is the most important thing to happen in the Sauk Valley since uh, the founding of the college. And, and we're just really thrilled about how that's going. Wow, that's exciting. So a student then basically has their tuition covered if, if, if they follow some certain guidelines. And of course, services is, is tied to one of those guidelines. Correct. Uh, and um, GPA is not, for example. Uh, mm -hmm. As long as you graduate on time, um, and you know, if, if there are medical issues or whatever, we'll work with that. But you, know, you stay with your cohort, and then you have... Um, earn tuition and fees at Sauk Valley Community College. Well, I, I knew this was a pretty exciting program because I noticed that the first lady, Jill Biden, and the Secretary <laughs> of Education, Miguel yes, Cordona, yes. showed up at your doorstep in April strictly to come out and look look at that, I think. so. Well, it, it was that. And um, Lori Cortez, Dr. Lori Cortez, the head of my foundation, um, she is um, uh, has gotten to know Martha Cantor quite well. And um, um, I, I think Dr. Biden was just looking for, you know, looking for a stop. And Martha Cantor said, well, you, I know the exact place you need to go. So it was a, I think it was a Wednesday evening uh, back in like, uh, when would that have been? It would have been like in March where um, I have a, a, a Zoom call that's going on into the evening. And when I finish, uh, my cell phone, my text is blown up from Lori Cortez you know, telling me call right away. And um, so I call and she said, have you looked at your email? And there was an email from the White House. And we both thought it was bogus. You know, we figure there's an embedded link in here and, and you know, we're going to crash the system. And then we investigate a little bit and realize it was for real. And, you know, two days later, we're talking to an advanced team. Uh, Secret Service guys are, uh, uh, people are really cool. Uh, that was pretty neat. But we had, uh, in one day, we had Dr. Jill Biden, and of course, she's a community college educator, so we are really, really high on Dr. Biden. Um, Secretary Cortona, uh, or, or Cardona, uh, we had the governor, we had the lieutenant governor, we had the attorney general, we had our congresswoman, we had a state rep, we had our mayor, everybody here at the same time. And it was quite exciting for us and quite exhausting. And uh, some really good memories, some good stories, and of course, you know, very good PR uh, for the institution. You know, what a feather in your cap. I, as, as, a previ as, a, as a former dean, I remember getting excited that I just had the governor show up at my college. Yeah. So. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, and um, one, of the, uh, uh, one of the funny moments for me is, um, you know, they had this all scripted and they made it clear that you can't get within six feet of her, you know, because we're masked and everything else. And so, um, uh, we, we, we had ideas about you know, how they should enter and what we're going to show off in the college. And then we're told by Secret Service, they're coming in um, through the loading dock. <laughs> through the loading dock. <laughs> how, can, how, can we, how can we gussy up the loading dock? But we did. And so uh, I'm on my point out by the loading dock. 
and then over uh, to my right is the governor and then um, uh, the, the uh, Congresswoman Bustos, et cetera. Um, and the um, uh, Dr. Biden um, and the secretary, they arrive uh, with their entourage and she walks up to me and she's getting ready to give me a big old hug. And I'm thinking, I'm gonna get tased. <laughs> They're gonna take me down right here now uh, because she's just so nice. And then we, we did some sort of awkward, you know, elbow bump and then, you know, went on from there. But she was just such a pleasant person. And she truly understands, you know, the value of community colleges because, I mean, she, she was grading papers um, on, in the car on the way um, to, to SOC, you know, with the students that she's currently teaching. So it was wow. great. That's what a great story. Yeah, I like I said, when I when I saw that, I just could not believe I had this is going to be phenomenal to hear how that experience was from you. So it seems like it was a pretty exciting day for you guys. Uh, it, it was a very exciting and very exhausting. We, we, we were wiped out for a few days after that. Well, I, I have a, uh, uh, you know, you got all kinds of stuff happening at your place because there's another program I was kind of interested in hearing about, and that's your 10-month uh, Sauk Valley Community College Leadership Program. So Correct. I guess my, my questions on that first is, where did that idea come from? And then, of course, who attends? And then what's the benefit to the community for that program? Well, I'd, I'd been involved in a program like this when I was a campus dean at South Central Technical College in Faribault, Minnesota. Uh, so it, it's, it's not a novel idea. Uh, there are many communities that have community leadership programs. And, and one of the things I wanted to do when I went to SOC was um, trying to make sure the college was really um, act, actively involved in the community. Um, and uh, I was looking for opportunities for that. Uh, an opportunity that, that came up very quickly, separate from this, is um, the mayor of Dixon called me and said, you know, it looks like there's an opportunity for a small business development center. Um, have all kinds of meetings, all kinds of partnerships. And, you know, a, a year later, uh, we have an SVDC and we've had one ever since. You know, very good community partnerships. But um, the, um, our, our three, um, major communities near uh, the campus are Dixon, the hometown of Ronald Reagan, uh, Rock Falls, and Sterling. And the chambers had not historically worked together very closely. And so I um, invited the three chambers to the table. And over a matter of about five or six months, the three chambers in a college uh, developed a curriculum. Uh, quite frankly, not, not so different than the curriculum um, that I was familiar with up in Minnesota. And uh, we have graduated five uh, cohorts of students, uh, of, of professionals of all ages, uh, about 75 folks. And we have the sixth cohort going now. Uh, they meet, um, uh, it's just open enrollment, um, or not open enrollment, um, open application. And then we review. And, and th there are a couple of folks who, uh, for whatever reason, we didn't admit. But by and large, uh, you can be admitted. Uh, we've had college folks every year because it's great for the um, college to uh, have uh, some of its folks learning about the community. Um, and they meet um, once a month for a day or twice a month for a half day. And it is uh, leadership development. Uh, for example, I teach most of the leadership theory curriculum, and then we bring in all kinds of leaders to come in and talk to them about leadership. And then it's about community. Um, you know, we talk about healthcare, we talk about education, we talk about volunteerism, we talk about the community problems and, you know, the challenges and how to overcome challenges. Um, and um, each month, one of the four organizations 
uh, Dixon, Rock Falls, Sterling Chamber, or the college, uh, we have a team uh, on the board, board members, who develop the, uh, the day. Uh, we, a very important part of it is we have a facilitator. We hire uh, a facilitator who is sort of the glue to the program. Um, and, you know, even, even though we're rural and, um, you know, Dixon and Sterling are only, you know, 12 miles apart, Rock Falls and Sterling are, little, are literally across the Rock River from each other. People don't know the communities, and so they're learning about the communities. They're learning about the challenges, and I think most importantly, they're learning about the opportunities that they themselves bring to the table, the potential they have to help solve problems, and the the opportunities uh, that the communities have. And we think this another uh, retention um, uh, program uh, to uh, keep professionals. A, a lot of businesses are using this for some of the younger professionals who they want to groom but but we we've had we've had people in a cohort in their 50s and 60s and 70s you know may, maybe people are retired they have more time or what have you and uh the synergy that we develop with those cohorts is absolutely phenomenal holy cow that's exciting those are those are two really amazing programs you're doing there in illinois um well we, we we've been very very happy with both of them yes yeah. thank you it, is there is there anything else you want to add about uh, what's new on campus? Any new facilities or any other new pro? I mean, it sounds like you're doing a lot. So, I, but I just thought I'd ask. Well, um, I um, this is my fifth community college. I worked at Santa Fe Community College in Gainesville, Florida. I worked at Anoka Ramsey in South Central Technical College, Minnesota, Bluegrass Community Technical College in Kentucky, and then here. And I mean, we're all public community colleges, so we're poor. You know, public community colleges are poor, and and SOC is poor in, in many ways. Especially, you know, there was a year or two where the governor and the secretary, uh, or the uh, speaker of the house, um, didn't talk to each other, and we had no budget in Illinois, so that's not good. However, this is my first institution with a local tax base, so we have a levy, and boy, the difference that makes. Um, when um, SOC and other Illinois community colleges were established, a third of the funding was supposed to come from the state a third from tuition and a third from local tax support. Right now we're getting about 13% of our, of our funds from the state. So we're not state funded. We're maybe just a little bit state supported. Um, and it's nearly 50% of our funding come from the local tax base. And, and because of that, uh, we can do levies and our, our building is 50 years old uh, and we're primarily one big building. So, you know, very nice uh, building. Uh, but like um, any sort of um, older dwelling, you started a renovation. For example, um, um, a um, state rep, a wonderful state rep we have, um, called me one day and said, hey, Dave, I think, and, and, and she's in the minority party in the state. Uh, she's in a, a powerful position, but more minority party. And she said, hey, I think I can get you a little bit of money for a project. Do you have any projects? And so I talked to my folks and I called her back. I said, well, Tony, what we really need, we need some bathroom renovations. She said, great, it'll be the poopy project. And she was all, all giddy. So she got us $200,000. That's great. So, so we started doing some work. Um, that has turned into a $1.7 million project. Because you can't just put on some new tile. Uh, the plumbing is original to the building. So whenever you do something, it becomes bigger. But again, um, this is the best funding I've ever had for capital type projects. So you know, we just landed on that. We're going to be doing some renovation outside from Student Plaza. And then our next big decision is uh, what's the next big capital project uh, that we'll be doing um, after that. 
Yeah, I, I got online and did a virtual tour of your campus. That was pretty easy. You got it pretty easily set up on on uh, your your web where you can just kind of click in and look at some sure, stuff. So. Yeah. Well, and, and I should add, we're right on the Rock River. I'd never heard of the Rock River. Rock River is fairly big and Rock River is beautiful. There are eagles flying up and down, you know, the river and um, we um, have beautiful natural prairie. Uh, we also will be harvesting our soybean and corn, you know, this next week. And it, it's just a beautiful rural campus. Yeah, I, I, I like, yeah, I, I thought what I saw on your webpage, I, I sure thought so too. Oh, thank um, you. Well, let's talk about you then. Tell me about the path that led you to become the president at Sock Valley Community College. Uh, if I'm going too long or too far back, just tell me to be quiet. Um, I grew up, um, uh, Dave and I were both Hoosiers. We acknowledge, uh, to discover yeah, that fact. That is uh, true. We started. Uh, and I grew up in southeastern Indiana and, um, uh, there were no community colleges um, in, in my hometown. I, I did not know about community colleges growing up um, or technical college. I just didn't know about them. And uh, I'm the fourth of 10 kids. Uh, my parents were 22 years old when I was born. Um, grew up in a very, um, uh, with uh, very modest financial uh, means. Uh, however, um, you know, my parents have been married nearly 70 years now, and they're the happiest married uh, couple I've ever known. So I was really blessed to be raised in a really, um, maybe poor, but a really uh, wonderful household. Uh, and by the time it was time for me to go to college because of my uh, older siblings and their uh, leadership, I knew I was going to go to college. Um, being from a big family, being poor and having good grades and activities, um, I got a full ride to DePaul University in Greencastle, Indiana where my two older brothers went and two younger brothers went. And again, point is, I didn't know community colleges existed. So I went to a four-year liberal arts institution, had a very good experience there, um, worked for a year at, um, Appleton, um, in Appleton at Lawrence University, where I met at Lyndon Berger, and we've been married 37 years now. Um, got a master's at Indiana University uh, in American literature because I found love with school. And again, the point is, I still did not know about community colleges. Um, um, Lynn and I worked at uh, Shack St. Mary's boarding school in Faribault, Minnesota for a couple of years. And then I was a trailing spouse. Um, uh, Linda got accepted in the University of Florida uh, counseling psych program. So we moved from Minnesota to Florida uh, with a two-year-old with no job. Somebody should have grabbed us by the ear and said, what the hell are you doing? Uh, but for her graduate studies. And it was there uh, that I discovered Santa Fe Community College. Um, and um, I taught public school for a year and a half, and then I got on Santa Fe as an English professor and immediately fell in love with community colleges. Um, I wanted to get a doctorate, um, and in 19, late 80s, uh, pre-internet, uh, while working full-time, full-time spouse, full-time um, uh, uh, father, uh, literally the only thing I could get a doctorate in was education, um, and then um, uh, I stumbled upon Jim Wattenbarger. And I don't know if you know the name Jim Wattenbarger, but everybody in Florida does. Mm. Um, after World War II, he did a dissertation on uh, starting a Florida uh, a system of community colleges in Florida. One day the governor called him and said, make it happen. And so he was known as the father of Florida Community Colleges, a phenomenal man. Uh, and I got a chance to study under uh, Jim Wattenbarger uh, for my, with my doctorate uh, while teaching at Santa Fe Community College. And then I think especially with my, with my um, 
background, uh, socioeconomic background, just fell in love with it. And I've been a community college person ever since. So um, when um, I finished my doctorate, uh, the only administrative job was uh, open was at Santa Fe uh, because we were, Linda had not finished her doctorate, was um, in research and planning. So I became the director of research and planning. Uh, when Linda finished her doctorate after the second and third daughters, so we have three daughters, um, she got a job at Carleton College in um, Northfield, Minnesota. So I was a trailing spouse. Uh, and that's how I started working in Minnesota. And after 10 years there, uh, we were ready for change. And she was a trailing spouse when I became an academic vice president um, in Lexington, Kentucky. And then we, we frankly wanted to get back to the Midwest. And when this opportunity opened up, um, we, we have be, had become, I've always been and Linda became a small town Midwestern person. And, and at some point along the way, well, I, I was academic dean, an academic deans uh, at two positions in Minnesota and the academic vice president in, in um, um, Kentucky. So I, I took that sort of traditional route mm-hmm. and, and it really was not until I got to Kentucky that I decided that um, I wanted to be a president. Oh, that's interesting because, you know, a lot of times when I ask people when, when they decide to make that jump, nobody really has a good answer. So you, you're honestly saying this is when I started deciding I wanted to be a president when you were in Kentucky, huh? Well, it, 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 it was probably the transition from uh, Minnesota to Kentucky. And um, at some point, I realized I, I can do this. And, and, and quite frankly, the bar is not nearly as high as I thought it was. <laughs> and um, I, I've worked with some really good leaders and I've worked with some really bad leaders. Uh, actually, not leaders. I, I've worked with some really uh, poor, uh, 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 I know, administrators. Um, and, and, and I realized that I, I, I thought I, I, I could do the job. Um, and, um, and, and I had not thought that before. Yeah, I, I agree with you on that too, is, is uh, there's some good ones and there's some bad ones for, yep. for sure. Um, so who's been the biggest professional influence in your career? And then why did that person make such an impact? Well, it'd be Jim Wattenbarger. Okay. Again. Yeah. Because um, again, I, I, I was learning about the history and the philosophy of community colleges while I was living it um, in, in, in the classrooms. Um, and for example, I'll never forget, I had, a, I was teaching um, um, uh, a introductory uh, English course and I had, it was the second day of class and I'd asked students, again, this is pre a lot of technology. I'd asked them to bring in a, a, a introductory paragraph um, and students that got there early, I asked them to put on the, on, on the on the board. So we could start talking about what we're looking for in introductory paragraphs. And there's this one young woman, she's probably mid twenties. And I called upon her and she put it up there along with four or five others. And I had them read it and blah, blah, blah. And she read hers and there was stunned silence. It was brilliant. It ends up that her name, uh, Sandra Suarez, one of the most brilliant um, persons I've ever known. Um, after about a month in the class, I called her in my office at Sandra, you have an A in the class. Um, what can I do to help? And she said, I, I like to just stay in a class and, you know, help other people. I had her in another class and then I lost track of her when she uh, left Santa Fe with a, um, a scholarship to go to, uh, I think it was Columbia, maybe Brown, because she wanted to be a lawyer. But, but I, you know, I, I learned from Sandra that a community college can have brilliant students 
she was at Santa Fe because of some you know life circumstances that prevented her from going straight out of high school and and she really basically needed to prove herself to community college before she could go on but you know the 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 service that we do for uh, for that we provide for students of all academic abilities of all ages it, it's just it's just remarkable um, uh, the lives that we change and, and 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 how those people then change communities yeah good good point so what's your biggest challenges right now as a community college president and second part of that question is what's your leadership priorities for the next couple of years well, our, our biggest challenge is trying to decide who we are post-COVID. Because uh, I think pre-COVID, I mean, things are always changing. That's just a part of, 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 of you know, being in education generally and community colleges specifically. Um, but, but a conversation we've been having at SOC for the past 18 months is um, once COVID ends, if we go back to who we were pre-COVID, then we have failed as an institution. Because I, I think we're a really good school, and and I and I think we were doing a really good job, April of 2020 or February 2020, but but things have changed, and so what we need to do, um, we 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 can't just be we're, we're not a University of Phoenix, we're we're not a um, we're not an online institution, but we we have prove to ourselves there are a lot of services that we can provide well online and our community wants some of those services online. But we also know we're at our best when we can do that high touch and that high support, you know, like in our TRIO program, when we, when we can really nurture relationships because that's what a lot of our students and community members need. Um, so we need to find that balance of how can we be the really supportive sock that we have always been and need to need to stay while providing services uh, the way that community now wants them. Yeah, you know, Dave, I agree with you. Is when all this happened, it was a it was a great teaching moment or learning arena for us to kind of revisit everything. And and it would be sad if everybody just tries to go back to what we yep. were prior pre COVID. So yeah, that's yep. an excellent point. Well, ironically, um, you know, leading up to the pandemic, we were having discussion. We we had actually planned for mid March to uh, do a pilot to see if we could get twenty to uh, about twenty percent of our services, additional services online. We're going to do a pilot, and so we're saying what services, what what hours, what people, and then boomo, um, you know, literally over a period of a week, we went from being mostly face-to-face. -face. You know, we, we did online classes and did them well. We had some online services, but we went from that to 100%. Yeah. Um, and so in, in a way, it was um, it was sort of good. Um, I don't know if you've ever done a polar plunge, but when you do a polar plunge, you don't go in, you know, like you're walking into the ocean. You you, you, you jump in. And, and this was a, a polar plunge for us. Um, another challenge, a, a bit broader, that we talk a lot about a SOC, uh, in the SOC Valley is the uh, division within society. Um, that we are, we are so polarized now uh, that our level of polarization is, is very typical to find in societies before they break apart, before they implode. Um, and if we're not careful as a uh, society, we're gonna do that. So we, we um, uh, we partnered with the uh, chambers again, 
and the YWCA and some other groups to form Sock Valley Unites, where we're um, uh, just encouraging to essentially be good neighbors. Right. Uh, and this was pre-election where we also emphasize, um, you know, um, you know, fair elections. Uh, and and that, that was before January 6th and all that. Um, so, um, and um, um, I have two faculty who are, are leading discussions on how do you have, how do you have difficult discussions? Um, and um, heck, just today, uh, I'm the president of uh, the local Rotary Club and uh, after in the meeting, all of a sudden, I found myself in a, in, a, in a fairly heated discussion between some members on, are we going to be wearing masks or we're not? And and I have to take that discussion to the membership next Tuesday. And and with this polarization, that's that's a hard thing to do. Yeah. And so you know, we we we, we need to provide leadership um, on our campuses uh, and beyond our campuses on, on how we can you know try to find some common ground. Yeah, you know, the, the, the nice thing, well, for me, I always thought being on a college, you always had the opportunity to have an academic debate, and it seemed to be a fair debate. Now, now there is no debate. It's just, it's just one person yelling at another person. So, yeah, well, we, um, you know, we, 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 I think we have a, a wonderful mission statement, wonderful values, uh, uh, vision statement, and, and, and we have a really good uh, a statement, a, a, a statement that we really worked at putting together. Um, a shared ethical values, and, and we talk about that a lot. Uh, I, I've done, um, uh, I've taught um, education, uh, ethical leadership uh, at the graduate level. I've written a lot about it, and, and we actively talk about that as a community. And so, when people start getting huffy and puffy, we talk about, wait a second, wait a second, you know, what, what's this all about? And, and how can we have this conversation? And it may be it may be a conversation with very different ideas, and that's not there's nothing wrong with that. But how can we have this in a respectful way? Yeah, well, good point. Um, I guess my next question would be: I'm going to go back to leadership, since it seems like you have vast experience from your previous positions. So. What do you think are the most important qualities for someone to excel as an academic leader? As a community college leader specifically? Well, you know, I was going to, I was going to say as a community college president, but on the same token, though, is just I, I know it's such a hard position. It's not like a business. You know, you have shared governance. You have all these other things that you have to deal with that a lot of leaders really don't have to do that. So, yeah, we could be specific to community college education. Well, I, I, I think I think my answer is going to apply universally, but it, it, it works so well for community college. It, 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 it's not about me. It's not about you. It, it, it's, it's about the mission. And um, um, Linda and I, my, my wife, um, we, uh, I, I, I knew we had a pretty good chance of making it when we were able to edit each other's dissertations and the marriage survive. And that was decades ago. <laughs> um, a couple of years ago, we co-authored a piece on narcissistic leadership. Uh, where she talked about narcissism from a psychological point of view, narcissism versus healthy self-esteem. Um, and, um, and then I talked about uh, using ethical paradigms. And then we, we took situations we'd both have been in, um, really horrible situations with really crappy leaders. And we sort of melded a few of them together to sort of hide the guilty and, and, and wrote about situations and then, you know, analyze them from a, uh, you know, ethics point of view. Um, and, um, 
the worst leaders I have known, uh, the, the, the mission, the, the institution, or uh, it's about them. It's not about their mission. And, and when, when I, or, or when, when others are in, in discussions and, and, and when I think about, okay, what's the best for the institution? Uh, not what, what, what's going to make me look good or what's going to get me, you know, I don't know, whatever. Um, um, it, it makes it so much easier. Um, and um, again, again, the, uh, I, I've I've worked with too many people. Who it's not not about that. It's about them. Um, and um, you know, I would also say, um, um, and, and maybe that maybe this is transitioning a little, little bit broader. But um, when I think about lessons I've learned from leadership, is you know things don't always go well. And and one thing I, I tell the the um, the professionals in the, in the community leadership program is that that we need to know ourselves. We need to know our strengths. We need to know what where we want to go professionally, and we need to be so damn good at what we do. If things are not working out, we acknowledge it and we move on. And, and I can remember the moment at one institution where I realized, wow, this is not working out. And I went home and I had a heart to heart with Linda. Said, I, you know, I, I no, I, I can't, I can't keep doing this. And I started looking, mm-hmm. and you know. Um, you know, six months later, I'm, I'm in a different job. So um, th- th- things don't always work out professionally. And, and, and maybe it's because of us and we need to learn from that. Or, or maybe it's not because of us and we need to have enough confidence uh, in ourselves uh, to know uh, what, 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 where we want to be. Um, and, you know, I've also learned organizations are very different. I've been at five colleges. The cultures are very different. Um, and to some degree, it's because um, three of those five, uh, the two schools in Minnesota and the one in Kentucky, uh, they were part of systems um, where there was not a local board of trustees. Uh, at Santa Fe and, and uh, at Sauk Valley, we have local board of trustees. A huge difference. Um, institutional culture has changed a lot. Systems uh, can be very different. And, and I, th- I think uh, leaders need, need, you know, need to be aware of that. And I, th- I think the most important thing for me is uh, I, I found the right place. Yeah. Um, when I was looking for presidency, I interviewed, I interviewed a couple places. Uh, I remember this one interview in a very, very different part of the country where it's like, oh my God, I was horrible. It was one of the most God awful interviews anybody's ever given. And I was horrible because that, that was not where, that was not my type of place. Um, yeah, I, I know that I'm, I'm a small town Midwestern person and I, I needed to get in a place with that. I've really felt comfortable, you know, being who I could be, uh, and I'd be accepted for that. And, um, so anyway, I, I know, I know I meandered a bit there. No, no, Dave, I, that's a great point because you, just like in my career, I, you know, it's, it's about a good match and you could be the perfect person for some other community college, but this match is not a good match. And, and I've recognized it. That. That's what, you know, so when you talk to, to new people looking around as, as a faculty member is wanting to make that next jump to a, to a Dean position, you know, or, or whatever is that's hard to explain to them is they're just looking to make that jump sometimes instead of realizing, boy, that, that place you're going to is really going to have an impact on it. It's just not the position. That's the most important thing. And, and I've, I've seen careers derailed because of that. Uh, because of a person making the jump, because the person wanted the fit to be right and and really wasn't taking the time to, to see um, uh, if it would work or not. And um, yeah, I, I have a good friend who I was just talking with the other day. Um, 
who, who made a jump from being a university professor um, to a practitioner and, you know, things beyond her control really derailed it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, 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 I don't know if it's possible to always know what you're getting into. Um, I, ideally, you have enough connections where you can call somebody who knows somebody who will tell you the skinny. But, but for example, um, when I was a finalist at one institution, I was having lunch with the, the president who I'd be reporting to. And he said, Dave, um, if you come down here, I don't want you to just be here for a year or two um, and then leave. And I said, well, I don't want to do that either because we're moving with uh, an eighth grade daughter and our plan is for her to graduate from here. So I said, I promise you five years, uh, end up being there nine years, I promise you five years. And then I said, well, what about you? He goes, I'll promise you the same thing. Six months later, he was looking for a job. Yeah. yeah. And if I had known that, I wouldn't have gone. Yeah. Um, but it ended up that the person who replaced him was really a lot better for better than him. Um, but you just need to, um, you know, tr- you know, try try to see as far down the road as you can of uh, of anticipate what's going to be. And 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 I would strongly recommend a person should never, uh, you know, take that, you know, jump for that next position just because of the position. It, it needs to be the right fit, like you said. Yeah. Well, how, how do you see higher ed evolving over the next five to 10 years? Um, I'm seeing um, more and more people less and less concerned about credits and credentials. Um, for example, there, there's a young man in Dixon. Um, um, there, there's a, it's, it's called a CEO program in high school. It's a special class where it's an entrepreneurship class. And he went through that about four years ago. Um, brilliant young man. He had started his own computer repair business while in high school. Uh, he expanded that when he got out. Um, he now is working his business nationally and it is expanding into real estate. He will probably be a millionaire before he's 30. Uh, and I have not talked to him into coming in and take classes from SOC yet, although I know that he, he needs classes. Um, but, you know, he believes that he can get the information that he needs other ways. Um, I, I'm not a handy person around the house and actually Linda is much handier than I am. And, and when I'm putting something together, what do I do? I go to YouTube. Um, and, and I teach myself through that. I think more and more people are finding uh, sources um, uh, beyond credits and credentials. And I think that we need to be able to adapt. I think uh, corporate uh, community and corporate education are going to become more and more important for us. Um, and being able to deliver the content uh, folks want. Maybe, you know, maybe we would say they should be in uh, developmental math, English, and reading. They don't think so. They're not going to do that. You know, there's content that they want uh, and need, and they're going to find a way to get that. And as a community college, we need to be able to find a way to do that. And, And I think a key to that is we need to be fully immersed within our communities. Uh, when I started, one thing I said was that um, any meaningful conversation about education and going on in the Sauk Valley, I want somebody from Sauk Valley Community College there. So like I said earlier, um, we, we have broad representation in civic groups and chambers and, uh, and other organizations um, so that we, we know what's going on in the community and uh, we want the community turning to us uh, when they need help. You know, for example, a few years ago, uh, some folks were saying, 
I, I just need to teach uh, basic community or, or basic professional etiquette to my to my my folks. They don't understand basic professional etiquette. Can you teach something on that? And we said sure. And you know we developed a quick little community ed type class for that. And um, so so I, I think we need to be ready to do more of that as opposed to saying you know we're some sort of ivory tower and you need to meet our standards or we're not going to educate you. That's interesting. How with that, let me ask you this question then. How do you stay on top of things? In other words, how do you continue to learn as an academic leader? Um, I, I think the best way for me has been through teaching. Uh, when I um, it, you know, taught classes, um, I taught some classes for St. Mary's University up in Minnesota and um, University of Kentucky on um, uh, uh, ethical leadership. You know, that, that forces me to, you know, to, to prep um, and, and, to, and, and to, you know, develop the, 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 the curriculum. And then, of course, I'll learn from the students as well. The, the community leadership class is the same thing. Uh, you know, that's just a different type of teaching. So um, my learning style is, uh, I think, what works best for me is, is teaching. Um, I'm not a conference person. I, I frankly find most, many, many presentations at conferences to be, yeah, yeah, not not all that great. Um, so I, I'd much rather uh, learn by by teaching. You know, I that's a great point because I I've met too many academic leaders who've been out of the classroom for a long time, and they're trying to explain <laughs> what the students want. It's like you don't know your audience, man. And I yeah. think faculty always know that knows their audience. It sure seems like it to me. That's yeah. an excellent point. That's really an excellent point. Um, do you have any favorite books on leadership that you would recommend? Well, well, I've come prepared for that. Uh, and I'm going to start, um, the, the, the single most important book, professional book for me has been, uh, the diverted dream by Britton Carabell. It's oh. sort of a oldie. Um, um, and it is, um, I read this in graduate school and it is, um, the language that would have been used then, maybe a, a Marxist critique of community colleges or, or critical theory critique. And, and that, that book just opened my eyes because I'd fall in love with community colleges and we're, 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 we're democracy's college and, you know, and all that. And it was really uh, important for me to understand where the criticism of community colleges is coming from. That um, are, are we really just preparing people to be, you know, low level workers? Uh, are we, um, um, do, do we um, judge people based upon merit or does um, race and class and, um, um, you know, gender, do, do these things come into play? So uh, th that was a very important book for me um, to be able to sort of give me an underpinning of, of, um, uh, of understanding of what community colleges can be and what uh, a critic would would say about community colleges so that, that uh, you know a, a concrete example then is it's important that we have credentials that, that stack that you want to come in and you want to take a you know six-week class on welding and you get a great job as well uh, as a welder that's wonderful that's a great thing to do um, but can we stack that with others so that if you do down the road want to get a two-year degree and then eventually get a four-year degree and eventually own your own um, welding shop or whatever that you can do that. 
and we need to be embedding critical thinking skills in everything we do. We're not just teaching welding, we're te teaching people how to think uh, and welding is, is, is a tool for doing that. So, so that is one. Um, the next I wanna talk about, um, when I was um, working with that community leadership program in Minnesota, we hired a professor from uh, University of Minnesota to come down and do basically an audit of our program, tell us how we're doing. And she introduced me to a book called The Extraordinary Leader by Zinger and Folkman. Um, and, and I read that and, and I have, um, it's, there's a couple of new editions since then. Uh, it, it's, it's the book I use when I talk about leadership, for example, with the community leadership program. Um, I love it because it's not by an educator. It's not about education. It's not one of these, you know, pop leadership books like, you know, I'm a billionaire, listen to what mm -hmm. I have to say about leadership. Um, it's it's research-based in the business world. Um, and um, some of the stuff they, they come up with just, just really blew my mind. What didn't blow my mind is they argue the most important uh, characteristic of an effective leader is uh, to be ethical. Um, and then, then they talk about things, for example, the importance of building upon your strengths. Uh, you know, I grew up uh, going to a Catholic school where, you know, you, you, you're, you know, every little thing you do is a sin and you need to get rid of all your sins and get better as a person. And they'd argue, you know, not metaphorically, but they would argue that, no, that's not the case. You, you, you discover your strengths and you really build upon those. Um, and, and they do talk about uh, how leadership is specific to an organization and, um, um, so, so it's just a book that really uh, changed my view about leadership and I found it to be a very effective book to use um, in talking about leadership. Um, next, if I can change to an article, there's an article, uh, 2012 Community College Review article by Wood and Hilton called Five Ethical Paradigms for Community College Leaders. Um, and I use, use this a lot. Um, when I teach, I use this a lot when, um, we have discussions at the college. Um, and, and the point there is, you know, I, I, I'll ask students in, in these cohorts, um, um, anybody unethical? Of course, nobody's unethical. You're ethical, what, 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 what does that mean? And, and, and people give, you know, you know, you know, the type of the answers you would think, but then, then it takes situations and explore. Um, for example, very brief example, um, when I was the um, CAO down in Lexington, I had a student uh, appeal to me, she's being kicked out of the nursing program. Um, she came and she uh, explained her situation. The dean of the nursing program was mad. I even talked to the student. You know, she, she did not do something she was supposed to do. She has to be out, black and white. Uh, that would be the ethic of justice. Well, okay, yeah, yeah. But what about the ethic of care? What about the ethic of critique? Um, and, and, and it just allowed me to pause to be able to think through a situation a bit more deeply. Um, and, and if you want to do another podcast on that very example, and, and I use this example when, when I uh, would talk with the leadership program, um, it, it allowed me not to have just a knee-jerk reaction. Okay, you did something wrong, therefore, therefore here are the consequences. And, and I think as leaders, we need to be able to pause to think, are there some other ways of looking at this? You know, not, not to give a student a pass necessarily, but you know, are, are, are there more, um, are there nuances that we should consider? So, and then the last I wanna mention is, um, oh, where is it? It is um, uh, re, uh, Reframing Organizations by Bowman and Deal. Um, and, and I had never, and, and I um, uh, went to a Harvard Institute summer program 
um, a few years back, and this was the primary text. And, um, and I had never uh, studied organizational theory. And uh, for, for, for a leader to think about the, uh, about the um, structural frame, about you know, how things are organized within the college, uh, that's great. That's what we tend to do. But what about the human resource frame? What about the political frame? What about the symbolic frame? And, um, you know, for example, if I were to give advice to a, a new president, one thing I would say is find, find some easy wins. Find some easy symbolic wins. For example, I'm walking in, I'm brand new at the college, and I'm with the HR director. And she said, oh, why didn't you park in your spot over here? I said, what spot? She said, the president has a spot. And I said, no, I don't think so. Uh, wh why, don't you, why don't you decide what should happen to that spot? So it became the employee of the month spot or whatever. Um, I did that because I don't need a parking spot. Um, but I also knew that symbolically, that's going to send a message, right? And there's nothing wrong with, with knowing that that's going to send a message. So, uh, you know, the, the uh, symbolic frame is, is something we need to think about as leaders and, and how will uh, actions that we take be interpreted. You know, what what do they symbolize? Are they consistent with what we want to do? So um, uh, uh, that that summer institute I took at Harvard was phenomenal. I'd recommend it to anybody, and uh, uh, it's a really excellent text. And we at Salk we we use this when we're making big decisions. We're thinking, okay, uh, politically, you know, what's this going to what's this going to do to us? And you know, how will affect our base, primarily the board of trustees? You know, how will faculty respond? You know on and on and, um, and the other frames as well. So there. W wonderful suggestions. Thanks so much for sharing those. You're welcome. Well, I think on that, we're going to close. That was, I, I like going out on a bang and, <laughs> and I really liked hearing your suggestions for, for books for other academic leaders. So with that said, I appreciate you being on the show. Really enjoyed our conversation. Uh, I enjoyed it too. And we need to meet in uh, downtown Indianapolis sometime. That sounds good to me. Downtown, the circle is beautiful. Oh, yeah. I mean, Indianapolis is a beautiful city now. Yeah, I've I been back a few times for some conferences. And at least to yeah. say, yeah, I always enjoyed being downtown. I was yeah. building up. Okay. Well, that well wraps thank up. you, Dave. Well, thank you so much, Dave. And yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll stay in touch. Yeah, thank you. Well, that wraps up today's show. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks for listening to today's episode and make sure to visit our website at academicdean.com for additional information. Also, if you enjoy our podcast, please don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Until next time.